Welcome to the July 2023 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to talk about some of the challenges and solutions for U.S. colonial research with Family Tree Magazine contributing editor David Frixell. Then in our Family History Home segment, Denise Levenick is back and she's going to guide us through best practices for preserving heirloom American flags. This episode is sponsored by VisitFortWayne.com and Jessa Campbell is here to give you a very compelling genealogical reason for visiting Fort Wayne, Indiana very soon. And then we're going to wrap things up at the editor's desk with Family Tree Magazine digital editor, Melina Papadopoulos, who has a boatload of new free resources at FamilyTreeMagazine.com to share with you. As always, there is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. First up is Tree Talk. Family Tree Magazine social media editor, Rachel Christian, is here to tell us about what's trending in the world of genealogy. What have you got your eye on this month, Rachel? Hi, Lisa. Yes, I wanted to highlight two new tools that have recently launched that might be of interest to our audience. Uh, The first is a tool from FamilySearch that allows users to see what cemeteries their relatives are buried in. Uh, You need a FamilySearch account and to have created a tree. And then all you do is you go to FamilySearch.org slash campaign slash cemetery. And we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, And it will show you a map with markers where your ancestors' potential gravesites are. Of course, you know, this technology uses family trees, which aren't always foolproof. So it's always worth double checking um, before you commit to visiting. But as our listeners are embarking on summer travels and road trips, this might be a really fun app to have in their pocket and, you know, occasionally pull out to see, you know, where they might locate some gravesites. The other big tool is Reimagine from MyHeritage. We got a sneak peek of this at Roots Tech, and it's now here. Basically, what Reimagine does is it allows users to scan and digitize whole pages of photo albums uh, at one time. So you download the app, you scan an album page on your phone, and then the tool will automatically detect individual photos within that page. It will then crop them. And the photos are then saved in an album within the Reimagine app and backed up to an account on MyHeritage. So anyone who has gone through the work of digitizing photo albums in the past knows that this is a massive time saver and a very, very cool use of all the different AI photo technologies that are kind of behind the scenes at MyHeritage. What I thought was also interesting about this app is that It's a standalone app. It's not a feature that's available through the MyHeritage app. So it's a standalone thing. And it's, I have to think that this is kind of building off of the success of previous MyHeritage photo tools like Deep Nostalgia. So our readers have some digitization projects coming up this summer. It's definitely one to check out. And again, we'll have that link in the show notes as well. Yeah, they sure have been a leader in the whole photography area. And you got to love it. So that's an app that we can go to our app store, and we can put in reimagine and download it. The first one you mentioned, which is family searches, uh, cemeteries, is that isolated to the website? Or can we actually access that through any of the apps? 
You know, that's a good question. I think currently it's just available on the website. Okay, great. And of course, as you mentioned, you've got to have a free family search account and be tied into the tree because it's pulling all those burial locations from the family tree. So very cool. It's really neat to see them uh, coming up with new and interesting ways to to visualize all our, our family history information. Thanks so much, Rachel. Really cool. Talk to you next month. Yep. Thanks, Lisa. Although only 102 pilgrims sailed on the Mayflower to land at Plymouth Rock in 1620, the General Society of Mayflower Descendants estimates tens of millions of people worldwide descend from those brave souls. Now, even if your predecessors weren't Mayflower passengers, one of your family branches could spring from colonial ties. So here to help us find them and navigate colonial U.S. research is David Frixell. He is the author of Family Tree Magazine's premium online article. It's called How to Research Your Colonial U.S. Ancestors. Welcome back to the show, David. Thanks for having me. Usually we've got you here telling us all about some of the best websites, but this time we're digging into your colonial research expertise. I I love your article and start us off with something that you kind of started the article off with, which was, what are some of the brick walls that people can expect to maybe encounter when they're doing colonial American research? Well, of course, I mean, there's the, the, the usual ones like maiden names and that sort of thing. But in colonial times, I mean, there's simply are times where there aren't any records, or at least the records that you think are going to be there um, aren't. Uh, you know, we're so spoiled in, in doing U.S. research that we've got the uh, census every 10 years from 1790, and we've got, you know, vital records in most places. Well, those are not, you know, guaranteed for uh, colonial records. But, but the good news is um, there are more records than you might think, and they're more available um, online in particular than, than ever before. I mean, it's, it's never been so easy to uh, research your colonial roots. Well, that sounds encouraging. Now, you mentioned census records. And as you said, the U.S. federal census started uh, 1790. So what types of early census records might be available? Well, as you might expect, it varies by, you know, by colony. So there's a, there's a wide range. Um, and also the availability of them, you know, varies. So just to pick a few examples, you know, um, Rhode Island researchers are among the luckiest ones. They have, uh, five different censuses starting in 1730. You can search them at Ancestry. Um, so it's like, you know, almost, almost the, the mother load there. Um, Maryland has, is pretty good with, uh, censuses, um, Connecticut and some others. Um, Virginia had, uh, way back in 1624 and 1625 uh, censuses. So even when you might think that, oh, there's, you know, there's nothing, um, there's censuses or sometimes tax records and other things that, you know, sort of work like censuses. And those can be used even in those colonies that didn't really have censuses. So um, Georgia didn't get, get around to doing any censuses, but they have uh, tax records that can be uh, used um, to find them and rent rolls and things like that. Um, same kind of story with Pennsylvania where they've got, um, various tax lists and land records and they've all been collected, um, and, uh, are online, um, not on ancestry, but on a website that we list in the article. 
Um, similarly, South Carolina researchers have uh, a 1768 uh, kind of compilation. So even if there aren't censuses per se, you can kind of get an, you know, some clues from what works a lot like censuses uh, you know, for research. Gosh, that is really encouraging. I know I'm looking at your list. It's very comprehensive in the article. And I have North Carolina uh, early American ancestors. And I'm interested to see, you know, you mentioned that um, tax lists are kind of a nice equivalent to census records. They were still kind of keeping track of everybody and they have those there. So that's very encouraging. You've mentioned a couple of other record groups here. And I think, well, I'll ask you, which one is kind of one of your favorites, your go-to record collections for this type of research? Well, I, I, the one I would, I guess, other than the census, I would advise people to try out are final records, particularly if you have ancestors in New England. Now, I'm unfortunate that I don't have a lot of New England answers. I have one line that traces back to uh, the brother of Roger Williams, who founded Rhode Island. And I don't know how the heck I got that one. Everybody else in my family <laughs> is in the South. Um, in terms of colonial records. But people who do have New England ancestors are really in luck because the uh, American Ancestors site from the New England Genealogical Society um, has done all kinds of, they did town records um, before, you know, Massachusetts and places like that were doing statewide vital records that almost all the New England places had town records of births, usually deaths, marriages. So, those are widely available on uh, American Ancestors and also on some other um, sites like Ancestry and, uh, and FamilySearch. So uh, that's just really ideal. Um, I've got North Carolina folks like you. Um, most of those, uh, if you think about how people moved around in colonial days, um, it's useful to keep those migration patterns in mind. So the typical pattern was uh, they moved from Virginia to the Carolinas to Georgia and Alabama, Mississippi. So I got it almost back to Virginia now, and there's a pretty good collection of births and christenings um, available for Virginia that's on FamilySearch. Uh, other places like New Jersey was pretty, is pretty good. They're among the earliest official records ones. And then there's oddball kind of things like newspaper notices and cemeteries and things that Again, we'll sort of substitute, um, you know, for it. The only real blank spots, I think, are Georgia and South Carolina, um, where if you have an ancestor that died there in colonial days, you're out of luck. Um, they just don't don't have them. But otherwise, I mean, surprisingly, given how late vital records started in most states, um, you can actually find a fair amount of vital records uh, from, you know, way back in colonial days. I think one of my favorite resources to kind of figure that out as to when different types of records started in a particular state is I head over to that family search wiki. It's absolutely free and we can look up the location there. And typically they'll tell you when a lot of these different records have started. I noticed that you listed family histories and I was just doing a, a video on my uh, YouTube channel about compiled family histories. They're a wealth of information and I, I know Ancestry's got a lot of them. And that might be something particularly that newer genealogists haven't dug into. They've looked at compiled histories on family trees that are online, but they really haven't dug into their local library or archive or uh, some of these databases to see what researchers even, you know, 100 or 200 years ago put together. We talk a little bit about the role that 
these family histories and compiled uh, records play for us? Well, and of course, you know, you're, like all things like this, you have to take them with a grain of salt. There's yes. there's one, in fact, very notable um, case of a family history guy who he did all kinds of uh, things for Southern families, and it turns out they're all wrong. Yes. Um, and you'll probably know who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, those are, otherwise, as long as you, you know, use them as clues, mm-hmm. it, going back this far, they may be the only things you're ever going to be able to find, um, that somebody has somehow... Um, put together these family histories, and particularly so for colonial times, and for anybody who had was involved with the Revolutionary War. Um, there are things like the colonial dames um, collections and things like that, um, as well as all the published family histories. So they really are worth um, you know a try um, to uh, at least get started. Um, you know when you because you're going to hit brick walls in colonial research just because hey this is a long time ago. Exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, they weren't as careful about, they were busy, you know, surviving rather than, uh, uh, you know, just writing things down. So, uh, you're, you're going to hit brick walls, but those can certainly help. That's a very good point. And you're in your right. They're something we have to verify ourselves. And, but I love any kind of new clues when you're stuck at a brick wall, that makes a big difference. Um, you right. want to quickly mention any other kind of record types that they, they've got here to kind of entice them come read your article. You know, don't forget church records, um, which are actually, it depends on the place. So for instance, Connecticut had the, the congregational church was their state church like some places back in Europe until I think 1818. So uh, they're going to have pretty good church records. Land records are maybe the easiest to find and the most you know complete for a lot of these places because what were they doing? They're going and selling and getting land records. Yeah, Land records don't always have the things you want to know, like, oh, when was this person born? But it can establish that they were there and sometimes you know relationships. Um, probate records actually do even exist wills and things going back that far sometimes. So, uh, you know, try all the sort of usual ones, uh, even newspapers. There are some places that have newspapers going back, uh, you know, back into colonial times. So give those all a try. Yeah. I've noticed those over at Chronicling America at the Library of Congress. Well, Lots of terrific exactly. ideas. Uh, I highly recommend uh, your article to everybody listening. It's called How to Research Your Colonial U.S. Ancestors. It's part of the premium offering over at FamilyTreeMagazine.com. And we've been talking to the author, David Frixell. David, great to talk to you as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by Visit Fort Wayne, and here to tell us about a very good genealogical reason to visit Fort Wayne, Indiana, is Jessa Campbell of visitfortwayne.com. Thank you so much for stopping by, Jessa. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Well, Fort Wayne, Indiana really needs to be on every genealogist's travel itinerary, doesn't it? Yes, and for good reason. Uh, The Genealogy Center at the Allen County Public Library, located in Fort Wayne, Indiana, is one of the best places to research your family history. It is known for its trifecta, they like to call it, so the amount of materials that they have. They have about 1.2 million physical artifacts. They're also known for their services that they provide, so they have about seven genealogists on staff at the library that are all experts in their field, so they range 
from, you know, Western Europe to Caribbean to DNA and adoptions. So they each have their specialties and they are able to sit down with you to help you go through maybe some obstacles that you're having or maybe help you get started on your family history research if you're new to it. Um, So they have this level of service that's available to anybody for free. You can walk in with as little information as you have, and they will help you get started, help you get through those obstacles or questions you might have. Um, And they really take interest in your story and helping you find your family history. And then the third aspect that really sets them apart is the access that they have to all of the major databases. You can go there and enjoy free access to all the major databases and explore all the worlds of genealogy, all those resources available online from the home center at Genealogy Center, at the Genealogy Center at the Allen County Public Library. And it's just a wonderful experience. Again, it's free for anyone. You can go there. Um, It's funded through our library system. And so it's just a wonderful resource. Again, if you are getting started or if you have an obstacle or a brick wall that you run into Um, and just the amount of materials there that they are able to utilize, help you learn how to research your family history, help you learn those little tips and tricks um, to make you and help you find success in your family history research. Absolutely. And you know, they are the second largest genealogy library in the country, which is amazing. And I think a lot of people miss that. So if they're going to plan their trip to Fort Wayne, Indiana to go visit the Genealogy Center, I imagine they're at the website. You can also help them find what places to stay and other things to do as well if they actually have a little extra time. Absolutely. We also recommend, you know, if you have family members that want to come along, maybe they don't want to stay in the genealogy center all day. There's plenty of things to do out in Fort Wayne from a tin caps baseball game to enjoying our great riverfront dining and entertainment areas as well. Um, And you can plan all your getaways plan your trip to the Genealogy Center at visitfortwayne.com slash genealogy. We have all the resources there to learn about the materials they have, the special focuses that you can research there, um, as well as all the materials you might need to help plan your getaway, like hotel packages, like dining deals as well. So we've got all those resources at visitfortwayne.com slash genealogy. Fantastic. Jessica Campbell, thank you so much. And we will have a link to visitfortwayne.com in our show notes. Great talking with you. Great talking with you too. It is the month of July, and in our family history home, we're often turning our thoughts towards celebrating Independence Day here in the U.S., and of course, that gets us thinking about the flags in our home, and particularly those we may have inherited um, through past generations. How do we care for them? How do we make sure that they are preserved and remembered? And Denise Levenick, who is a columnist at Family Tree Magazine, has talked about this a couple times in her column. So I've invited her back here to the podcast to give us some ideas from those past columns as to how we can best preserve the flags in our family. Welcome back, Denise. Good to talk to you. Hi, Lisa. Thanks so much for inviting me to come back today. This is a favorite topic. I love our United States flag. The colors are so clear and beautiful. And it's always a pleasure to to be thinking ahead to the next occasion to fly it in front of our house. I know a lot of families inherit flags from perhaps a memorial service or honors from the U.S. military. Um, Did you know that the military will provide a flag free of charge for every veteran who was honorably discharged? Wow, that's terrific. 
All you have to do is request it. Yeah, one flag per veteran, per family. Um, you just request it from the VA association. And these flags that are used at a burial are much larger than the standard you would fly at your home. Sometimes they might measure, um, oh, gosh, quite large, um, you know, like four to nine feet long. So that's really almost too large to fly on a standard flagpole. They recommend that um, you keep that flag really for heirloom purposes rather than fly it. And the best way to keep it is either in an acid-free box, because like any textile, it can be prone to fading and deterioration from the acid in the environment. Or you might want to display it in a special uh, triangle-shaped flag display case. And those those display cases are available from archival suppliers like um, Gaylord. But I've also seen them at craft stores. If you're worried about the archival elements of the um, display case, you can do a couple things. You can exchange the board in the back. If it's just regular cardboard, you can cut a new piece of acid-free board from your uh, local framer. And you can make sure that the wood is sealed with polyurethane. That's about all you need to do. But it's good to be aware that the U.S. flag code does state that we should not display anything on top of the flag. So if you're tempted to pin medals or put pictures on top of the flag, it would be better not to do that. Display those items separately in a different frame. Well, that's a really good idea. I I think I mentioned to you just before we got started um, on the podcast here today that we have flag from my husband's father's a military funeral. And I need to go check that triangle shaped frame that it is encased in. Because I love that idea. If by chance, it is just the particle board or something, we can take that out and put something that's more preservation friendly in the back. Good to know. What other tips have you got for us? Well, when they fold that flag, um, did you know the reason they fold it in a triangle is in honor of the tricorn hats? worn by our patriots in the American Revolution. I think that's kind of a nifty little I didn't know that. <laughs> side bit. Part of the symbolism of the U.S. flag. It's a good idea to keep your flag clean. And like any textile, it's okay to wash it. I mean, flags particularly are uh, made to be flown in the out of doors. So modern flags are typically made of nylon or really sturdy cotton with embroidered stars. And you can wash them in gentle on your washing machine um, to keep them in good repair and get rid of dust and dirt. Of course, if you have a vintage or antique flag, you're going to want to treat it like vintage clothing. Um, You might not want to display it even because it will be subject to the hazards out of doors. But put it away in an um, acid-free box if it's a special flag that you want to keep. If your flag becomes tattered, or torn, you can mend it on your sewing machine. But if it becomes really bad and faded, it's time to retire it. <laughs> Look for a local American Legion or maybe Girl Scout or Boy Scout troop 
that offers um, very dignified, respectful flag burning ceremonies. This is the way that we are supposed to dispose of old, tattered flags. And just get yourself a nice new one. When you fly your flag at home, make sure you're flying it free on a standard um, in a place where it won't get tangled up in trees or bushes or on a balcony. It should only be flown from sunup to sundown unless it's illuminated at night. And something we don't often think about is the flag is not to be used or worn as clothing, bedding, or drapery. Instead, you should use bunting. So sometimes we see the flag being used in ways that is perhaps less respectful. Um, It's not really part of the U.S. flag code to do that. If you display the flag vertically, the stars, the field, should be in the observer's upper left. Okay. And never let the flag touch anything below. If you fly it from a pole or a staff, fly it at the very peak, all the way to the top. And when we wear a flag pin, we should wear it on the left side near our heart. I hope these have been some tips that are helpful. And remember, there are so many days you can fly the American flag, um, patriotic holidays, beginning you know, start it, let's say Independence Day, July 4th, but go on to July 27th is the National Korean War Veterans Armistice Day. And then we go through summer and into Labor Day, and then the fall holidays, Constitution Day, Columbus Day, Navy Day, Veterans Day. So there's a lot of great holidays to celebrate our country. Well, those are all Wonderful tips, wonderful ideas for ways that we can use our American flags to honor um, our country and the veterans that served. And of course, everybody listening can learn more about flag preservation and actually preservation around your home in Denise's terrific column at Family Tree Magazine, which is Family History Home. And you can follow her online at her blog, thefamilycurator.com. Always great to talk to you. I learned a lot today. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you, Lisa. I always enjoyed talking with you and your listeners. It's time to stop by the editor's desk. And today we're talking to Melina Papadopoulos. She's the digital editor of Family Tree Magazine. And she's here to tell us about some new content on the free genealogy page at FamilyTreeMagazine.com. Hi, Melina. Hi, Lisa. Yes, when it comes to genealogy research, having the right resources at your disposal really makes a difference. That's why I'm excited to announce that we have updated our freebies page recently to highlight all the wonderful resources that we have to offer. Our free resources fall into several different categories, and that includes forms and worksheets, checklists, and ebooks. Downloadable forms and worksheets will cover many different topics including um, helping to organize your genealogy research, record important information that you uncover as you research, work through extensive genealogy projects that you might want to start new or might have put to the side, and even um, help you understand certain key genealogy terms that might be unfamiliar, and so many other downloads. For example, we have a download that can help you through your immigrant ancestors. You can use it to fill out the date of 
immigration, port of entry, port of departure, naturalization status, and so much more. It's also handy to download our 1950 census abbreviation guide if you're going through the 1950 census and come across some unfamiliar abbreviations that you're not sure about. Instead of having to look them up and disrupt your research, you can just look at this download and uh, understand what you're looking at and not have to worry about going back to your research and going back to your computer and so on. Um, We also have checklists that you can use to ensure that you have everything you need when you start a new project or other activities. I know right now family reunion season is underway and we actually have a family reunion checklist to make sure that you have everything you need to have a wonderful celebration with your family and to make sure that you, um, you're you not missing anything important. And you'll also want to download one of our latest um, freebies, which is our 101 Best Websites PDF Guide. It breaks down all the lists, the entire list um, of 101 Best Websites for 2023 by category. It provides a brief description of each website. That way, if you're looking for websites, say, about DNA, you can look to the DNA category, review the websites, what they're all about, and then you can see the URL there and just go to it if you really think it'll help you with your research. So that's a great um, resource to have at your disposal, wherever you are, even if you're not at your computer. And then finally, we have some great free ebooks that have so many resources to help you with your genealogy research, wherever you may be. One very helpful one is the free genealogy brick wall busters ebook. And that's perfect for when you come across obstacles in your research that feel really impossible to get past. And that can be really discouraging. This free ebook has tips and tricks and strategies to help you get past those brick walls and even has some stories from genealogists who have faced some brick walls themselves and some strategies they use to get past those brick walls. And I'm going to, to find these free, these free all these free um, downloads and the freebies page. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, of course, but you can access it anytime on our website by simply clicking the free resources link on our menu. It's right there. Um, if you're using a desktop computer or laptop, you can just click the look to our top menu page on the top. It's right to the right. And if you're not, if you're on mobile, you can still access it pretty easily on our site. You just have to look to the top of the page there where it has the little white lines where you can access the menu. And if you scroll all the way to the bottom, right, it's the second option. It'll say free resources. And you click that, it'll take you right to the free resources page where you'll find all these downloads and um, hopefully be able to find what you need to either start a new genealogy project or um, continue one that you've had going for a while, just maybe didn't have the right resources to do so. I hope everybody finds this helpful and happy research. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. We covered a lot in this episode, and you will find links to those things over in our show notes page at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And if you enjoyed everything that you learned in this show today, I hope that you'll take a moment in your podcasting app and leave us a five-star review. We really appreciate that. And uh, now I think it's time to head over to familytreemagazine.com where you can grab all those free resources that Melina told you about. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.